Good morning, church family. Today's scripture is from Luke 1, 39 through 36. In the Pew Bible, it is um, on page 856. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, the sound of your greeting came to my ears and the baby leaped in my womb. And blessed is she who believed that there was a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has sown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. Well, obviously, we're in the book of Luke. Welcome back. Luke, written by this Greek physician to his patron, Theophilus, as an orderly, historic account of Christ, of Jesus. Lots has been written, he said, but I'm setting out to write an orderly account that you can read and trust. And yet, the story continues to be full of the supernatural, doesn't it? And that can, that can mess with us a little bit, but what that means is Luke must think it's all true. Luke must think it's all true, that virgins can have babies, that old, old women can get pregnant that the Holy Spirit can be inside of a fetus. The question that we all have to wrestle with is, how much of this do we think is true? Is this true? And if it's true, then you have to wrestle with it. You can't ignore it. Today we're going to talk about rejoicing in God's great reversal. Rejoicing in God's great reversal. How many of you love a movie plot twist? Rosebud is the sled, <laughs> right? Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> Norman Bates is his mother. Bruce Willis has been dead the whole time in The Sixth Sense. Sorry if you haven't seen it yet. I just ruined the whole thing for you. It's your own fault. It's an old movie. It's your own fault. Vader is Luke's father. Whoa, what just happened, Brady? What are you doing to me? Look, this, 
This is the plot twist of history. This is where it all changes. It all shifts. Everything you thought was true, nope, nope. We're turning it all on its head right here, right here. Most of us don't like plot twists in our own lives, do we? <laughs> We're not thrilled about, whoa, that, the whiplash that life can give us. And obviously, that's what Mary's going through. Her life was one thing one day and a very different thing the next day. She is going through a plot twist. And so how is she going to process that? What is she going to do? She makes a choice. Mary makes a choice to pursue joy. That's our first point this morning. Choose to pursue joy. Many of us struggle to find joy in life, don't we? Especially in the little things. We're all waiting for the next big thing to happen, the next big joy moment, the wedding or the retirement or, or the birth of a child, and we lose sight of how God wants us to find joy in just the everyday, ordinary things of life, doesn't He? Christmas is supposed to be a joyful time of year, but for many of us, it's not, is it? Maybe Christmas is connected to something that's actually sorrowful or sad for you. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently, or maybe this will be the first Christmas where the kids are all grown and they're not coming home for Christmas, and so you're, you're, uh, you're kind of that, that empty nest couple who's all alone on Christmas. Or, or maybe you're a single in the area who hasn't really made a lot of friends yet, and so Christmas is kind of like, okay, whatever. Maybe income loss or financial struggles mean this Christmas there just won't be as many gifts under the tree or, or um, events or things that you can do together. But God wants us to live in joy, doesn't He? And God wants us to find joy in Himself. The joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah said. In the Bible, joy is both a gift and a choice. It is a gift from God, is a gift of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's a fruit of the Spirit. In this text, everybody's having this big joy moment because of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she bursts into joy. Fetal John is full of the Holy Spirit, we've already learned, and he's leaping for joy in the womb. Mary is we're assuming also full of the Holy Spirit because she's prophesying and having a joy moment. And so, yes, joy is in us if we are in Christ, but yet joy is also a choice we have to make, isn't it? Joy is a choice. Mary made the choice. What did she do? She made haste and went to Elizabeth's house. 39, verse 39, Mary went with haste to the hill country to be with Elizabeth. Let's look at some of the things Mary did, some of the things we can learn in this first point. Let's just look at a couple things we can learn about choosing joy. Mary, first of all, Mary chose community over being alone. Mary, we, can, we know that when Gabriel visited Mary, we know that she had a level of faith. But we don't know that she had, a, that she had joy yet. <laughs> You can have faith without joy, but faith should produce joy. 
And so Mary has to seek out that joy. So what does she do? She goes to Elizabeth's house. Why? Because here's what we all know if we think about it. Joy grows in community. Joy grows in relationship. Joy is literally contagious, isn't it? If you you watch a, a great sporting event all by yourself in the living room, you probably watch it and go, oh, yay, my team won click it off and go to bed. But if you're having a party with all your friends and your team wins the Super Bowl, every, the stuff's getting thrown and you're hugging and you're high five. Yeah, because community produces more joy, doesn't it? We all need spiritual friends who know how to return us to joy. We all need to be a spiritual friend that can return our friends to joy. We need humble friends Note Elizabeth's humility. Mary enters and gives her the greeting. This isn't just, hey, how are you? This is a traditional, I'm the younger Mary. I am saluting you, the elder Elizabeth. So she gives her the traditional greeting. Elizabeth bursts into joy and begins to bless Mary, the younger. She begins to honor the baby inside of Mary as her Lord. Not to to go too deep, but in essence, Elizabeth is saying, Mary, you are the mother of the king. You're the queen mother. And in Jewish history, the queen mother was honored. Read read 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Every mother of every Jewish king was named in Scripture. Solomon bowed down to Bathsheba, his mom, Elizabeth is recognizing, Mary, you're the, you're the queen mother. You're the mother of God. You're the mother of my Lord. Bringing it down to earth, <laughs> bringing it down to us, she, what did she do? She recognized that God was doing something in Mary. Do you have friends that can see that in you? Do you have friends that can, that can note what God has been doing in your life? Because let's be honest, sometimes we don't even notice that in our own lives, do we? Oh, man, I'm really, I, I'm not, no, I'm nothing, I, God's not, no, no, that's not what I see. I see you being faithful. I see you waking up every day and, and trusting God. I see you serving. I see you caring. We need people to speak that into our lives, don't we? Mary chose to connect her story to God's bigger story, didn't she? Look, if you, if you stay here with the blinders on, if you, if you stay self-focused, if you're a navel gazer, if all you can see is yourself, you will never find joy. Mary did something very important. She connected her life, her story, her narrative to God's great big story. Notice verses 46 through 49 is deeply personal. My soul, my spirit. He has looked on me, his servant. He who is mighty has done great things for me. But then suddenly, The hymn changes, and suddenly she bursts into this most amazing of songs about the nation, about history. It explodes from just being about her to being about something much bigger than her. Do you see it? 
His mercy, verse 50, is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm, scattered the proud, brought down the mighty, filled the hungry, helped His servant Israel. And then she speaks of His covenant with Abraham. She invokes so much Old Testament here. She is in the line of great prophetesses, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, and of course, the Psalms are riddled throughout her song. She is singing Israel's redemptive history. God has scattered the proud and brought down the mighty. Pharaoh, Sihon, Og, Eglon, Sisera, Zeba, Zalmana, Goliath, Sennacherib, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Haman. God has a history of taking those whose pride exalts them and He brings them down, and He has a history of exalting the lowly, the Davids, the Daniels, the Esthers. We just started Hanukkah. Maybe, maybe Mary's thinking about Hanukkah when the Maccabees restored rule and proper temple worship after the, the horrible reign of King Antiochus and the abomination of desolation. Kings, in Mary's mind, this is part of what God has been doing for thousands of years. This little baby inside of her is just enough, it's, it's the climax of this same story that God's been telling. Kings brought low, empires destroyed, the proud upended, surely Rome's days are numbered. All while God fills the hungry, physically and spiritually, What is Mary doing? She's placing herself into God's big story. Do you know how to do that? What we tend to do is we tend to place God into our little story. We bring God into our little story. That's how most of us pray. That's how most of us think. That's how most of us worship. And instead, we need to take our little story and find where it fits into the big narrative of what God is doing. That's the Christian life. A lot of us are telling ourselves, listening to a false narrative full of lies and rationalizations. I had to. I have to. I can't. I never will. I have to leave my spouse. I never had a role model. No one wants to listen to me anyway. Nobody really cares about me. I've never been trained. I'm too busy. What if Mary thought that way? Elizabeth, you just don't understand. This is not what I was planning. Joseph's going to be so upset. This is all God's fault. I'm not ready to be a mom. I'll be labeled. I'll be an outcast. She doesn't do any of that, does she? This isn't easy. This is hard. (laughs) But she doesn't rationalize it, and she doesn't make excuses. She receives that her life is part of what God is doing. Listen, if your story was just about you, then rationalize it all away. Go ahead. (laughs) 
Believe what you want to believe, but it's not. It's not. No human being's life is about them. It's about God. You were created for God, and you were created for Christ. In Ephesians 1, God says, look, I'm going to show you the mystery of time, the meaning of life, the purpose of life, and here it is, that Christ is head over all things in heaven and on earth. That is the meaning of life. Christ ruling as head. Now, we need to get with that program and understand that my job, my story, my narrative is meant to fit under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what Mary's doing. And listen, what an honor, what a privilege to to be invited into that. And you can't blow it. Listen, I've read the last chapters Jesus is going to sit on the throne whether you blow it or not. You you can't mess this up for him. As we'll sing at the end, it's a battle that's already been won. (laughs) Listen, Christian, God cares about you. God has given himself to you to enjoy. In his presence is joy and pleasure we read this morning. Mary chose to focus on the character of God. Mary chose to focus on the character of God. My soul magnifies myself. My spirit rejoices in my self-awareness. I have truly self-identified finally. Is that how the song goes? No. My soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice in God, my Savior. God is mighty. God is merciful. God is holy. Verse 49, he who is mighty, nothing is impossible with God. He can save you. None of you in this room are beyond the saving power of God. Well, Brady, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I come from. You don't know all the ways I've messed up. Yeah, I don't, but God does. And guess what? He can save you because His grace and mercy is more powerful than any sin you've committed. It just is. It just is. If His grace and mercy can raise Jesus from the dead, a Jesus who was condemned for every sin of every human being in all of time and all of history, millions and billions of sins on His record, and yet God's grace and mercy rose Him from the dead, your trifling sin is nothing to Him. God is merciful. Verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him. Not only can God save us, God wants to save us. He loves us. He loves you. His love is beyond anything you've ever known. He made you out of love. He sent Christ for you out of love. He will transform you out of love. His mercy is new every morning. It is from everlasting to everlasting. And then holy. God can save us. 
God wants to save us. Holy is His name, which means He has to save us. God has to save us. He can't tolerate our sin. He has to give us the option. He has to say, if you trust in me, I will save you. He has to do that because He has to deal with sin. He has to deal with our foolishness, our impurity, our filth, our wandering, our injustice towards each other. So how does God destroy evil without destroying us? How does God destroy evil in the world without destroying the world full of evil people? And the answer to that is, of course, the great reversal, the plot twist, the cross, the cross. Number two, rejoice in God's great reversal. Rejoice in God's great reversal. Mary lived during the Roman Empire. She lived within a culture that said pride is good, power is good. Humility, literally, humility is considered one of the worst vices you could have. The word in your Bible that you see written in English as humble, every Greco-Roman reading that would be like, that's crazy. Why would I ever want to be meek or lowly or gentle or humble? In fact, that's immoral. That, that's the way they thought. They believed that there was a natural order to things, and those with the power should keep the power, and those without the power should stay without power. Here's how Aristotle said it. Aristotle lived a few hundred years before Jesus and Mary. That some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary but expedient. From their birth, some are marked out for subjection and others for rule. That is the common thought in Jesus' day. Slaves are born to be slaves. Masters are born to be masters. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. That's what nature teaches us. In Greek and Roman culture, justice was not fighting for equality. Justice was upholding inequality. That's how they saw the world. 1,700 years later, a guy named Thomas Jefferson said, all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Okay, that's very different from Aristotle. <laughs> Aristotle never would have said, all men are, Cicero never would have said, all men are created equal. And then, a few hundred years after Jefferson, a guy named Martin Luther King said, I choose to identify with the underprivileged, the poor, the hungry. I choose to give my life for those who have been left out. This is the way I'm going. If it means suffering a little bit, I'm going that way. If it means dying for them, I'm going that way. That's radically different. What in the world caused this plot twist? How did we go from the apex of civilization under the Greeks and the Romans? How did we go from the Hellenized thinking? How did we go from the from the pinnacle of philosophy and, and, and knowledge and even ethics 
and, and now it's totally twisted, totally reversed. What caused that? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. The event in between all of that is a guy named Jesus who came and flipped it all on its head. Flipped it all on its head. Listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian, my guess is you'll, you're probably going to agree more with Jefferson and King than you are with Aristotle. You're probably going to say Aristotle's on the wrong side of history. We've evolved from that. But here's what you might be missing is that we don't evolve from lousy thinking. <laughs> Our thinking only changes when somebody comes along and challenges all thinking, challenges all ethic, challenges all justice, challenges all goodness and morality, and says, no, this is the way to be a human. This is the way to be a human. Your power, that's weakness. My weakness, that's power. Jesus talking. Your honor, that's shame. My shame, that's honor. Your wisdom, that's foolish. My foolishness, that's wisdom. That's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus changed the world. Some people read the Magnificat and they see it as revolutionary or they see it as an inversion. You have the mighty and you have the, pow the powerful and the powerless, the rich and the poor. And so here's what Mary's saying. She's saying, flip them. Invert it. That's not what she's saying. It's not what she's saying. Let me tell you why I don't think that's what she's saying. Because that's not what Jesus said. And that's not what Jesus did. And that's not why Jesus died. When we say, like, like our modern critical theory, critical race theory teaches, you have the oppressed, the oppressive, and the oppressed, the oppressors and the oppressed. What's the solution? Get rid of the oppressors and give all the power to the oppressed. But that fails to see an important point. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. When you take power from one and give it to another, you've just created the same monster. Why? Because we're all sinners. We're all greedy for power. We all have a lust for power born into us. You're just making new oppressors. Look at American history. A bunch of colonists overthrow evil British oppression and then oppress people for 200 years. Slaves and women and natives. Look at our politics. What are we doing in America politically? One group has power. The other group, every four years, tries to overthrow them and take power back. Let me ask, has that been working? Is there any unity left? Is there any working together? Is there any equality? No. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Revolution, inversion, that's not what Mary's saying. That's not what Luke's saying. Jesus wasn't about revolution. He was about reconciliation with God and with each other. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, love your enemy. Jesus said, 
forgive, 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 forgive. Seven times, Jesus? No, 70 times seven times. What? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, go the extra mile. Jesus said, serve each other. What did Jesus do? Jesus wasn't all talk, was he? What did Jesus do? He went to the lowly. He went to the sick. He went to the possessed. He went to the lepers. He went to the widows. He went to the orphans. And you might say, yeah, but that gave him, that gave him power. That gave him fame. People lined up. The masses lined up. Okay. Okay. You know where else Jesus went? Stay with me. This is important. Here's the plot twist. Here's the plot twist of Jesus' ministry. He didn't just go to the socially and economically low. He also went to the socially and economically high. We're going to see it in Luke. Stay, keep coming back. It's going to get great. <laughs> Jesus is going to pull a tax collector out of a tree, economic, economically mighty, Zacchaeus. He's going to pull a tax collector out of a tree and go hang out at his house and honor him. That's unheard of. That did not get Jesus any points with the, with the crowds of Jews, trust me. That did not make him famous. Jesus is going to be stopped by a Roman centurion who is going to say, Jesus, will you heal my servant? Jesus says, let's go. And the centurion says, no, I know. All you got to do is say it. <laughs> Just say it, Jesus. This man has great faith. A Roman? Socially and economically high. Jesus is going to tell a story where a rich Samaritan is righteous. What? <laughs> Jesus is going to invite a rich young ruler to follow him in discipleship. Th could have been the 13th disciple. Jesus went to the low and he went to the mighty. Here's why. Here's why. Because Jesus wasn't trying to separate the oppressors from the oppressed. He wasn't trying to separate the rich from the poor. He wasn't trying to separate the mighty from the weak. Listen, listen. He was trying to separate the proud from the humble. He was trying to separate the proud from the humble. And that's why Mary says, God's mercy is for all who fear him. A Roman centurion, do you fear me? He did. A tax collector, do you fear me though? But do you fear me? I do. See, that's who Jesus is for, isn't it? He came to cure us all of our sinful pride. He came to show all of us who are economically high and mighty that we are also the poor and lowly spiritually. We can come as the faithful or we can come as the unfaithful. If you humble yourself, if you receive Jesus' love and forgiveness, then you too will be lifted up like Mary. Have you done that? Have you humbled yourself? Have you humbled yourself before God and said, God, I need you, my wealth, my status, my education, my, my, 
my career, these things cannot save me. Not only did Jesus say, not only did Jesus do, but Jesus also died. Let's talk about the cross. How does the cross show us the great reversal? Jesus died on the cross, the mighty, in heaven mighty. What did he do? We read it, Philippians 2. He lowered himself. The mighty became the lowly, didn't he? Even to death on a cross, the worst of deaths, the most shameful of deaths, a death, that, a death where the victims' names aren't even recorded because they're forgotten. Everybody, if your family member died of crucifixion, that's so shameful, so embarrassing, so humiliating, they cease to exist in history. Name another crucified person. You can't. There's no historic record of any of them except one. Why? Because that one went down into the grave as mighty, too lowly, and what did God do? He exalted him through resurrection, through ascension, so that now he has the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. This is the cross, and it's for you. It's not just for Jesus. It's for us. Listen, did you walk in here this morning proud and mighty like Mary talks about? Are you proud and mighty? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. I don't care how rich you are, educated you are, how, how many letters you got after your name. I don't care what your bank account says. I don't care what beautiful family you, or the car you drive or the house you live in. Jesus had to die for you. Jesus died the same death for you that he died for Hitler. Jesus died the same death for you that he died for the worst, worst sinner ever. You need to abandon your pride and turn to Jesus in repentance. Be humble. Did you come in this morning lowly, despondent, hopeless, sinful, broken? Guess where I'm going to tell you to look? Same place. <laughs> look at the cross. Look at the cross. Not only did Jesus have to die for you, he did die for you because he loves you, because he wants to exalt you, because he wants to honor you, because he respects you, because he wants you to share everything that is his. You're not hopeless. You're not beyond hope. You're not beyond help. You're not so broken you can't be resurrected. No one is. Now at the foot of the cross, all of us are equal, unified. This isn't an overthrow. This is when, when Mary says, he brings down the mighty and he exalts the lowly, what, do you see it? Where do we all land? Level. Level. That's justice. That's righteousness. That's grace. That's mercy. That's love. And the world could not see that until Jesus came. And by the way, that's the church. That's the church. We are a society within a society, a culture within a culture. The church is all who are humble, 
coming together and exalting one another and humbling one another at the same time. That's what church life is. And this should bring us joy, great joy. Joy in this reversal. This is why James, in James chapter 1, he says, let the poor boast in his exaltation and the rich boast in his humiliation. We get this one. We understand. Let the poor boast in his exaltation. That makes sense to us. But why should the rich boast that Jesus is humiliating them or bringing them low? Because he's creating a culture, a people, a kingdom, a family of unity and equality and love, isn't he? Get with that program. <laughs> Embrace it. Find joy in it. All right, let me, give, let me give you a practical to close. Practical application of all of this up in the cloud stuff I'm talking about. Receive help, give help. You get, church, you get the give help part. You are very good. All of us, as your pastors, we talk about this all the time. This is a giving church. You are givers of help. Praise God. Praise God. But you know what I've noticed after 16 years of being a pastor? Some of us are very bad at receiving help, which is very ironic because if you're a Christian, you, you uphold, I can only be a Christian because of the grace of God. Like we sang, I brought, I, we, I brought nothing and Jesus gave me everything. But then when another Christian tries to offer you something, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll, I'll get you back. I'll pay you back. <laughs> Christian, listen to me. God wants to lower us and he wants to exalt us. Let yourself be exalted. What, what, if, Mary, what, what if Mary, it's okay, God. I can get pregnant on my own. I'll figure it out. I'll figure life out. That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous thought, isn't it? What if she goes to Elizabeth and, yeah, you know, you keep saying, you keep saying I'm blessed. You know, I don't really need that. Just get, give that to somebody else who really needs it, Elizabeth. Save your blessing for somebody else. I'll be okay. No. She buys in. Elizabeth, you're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. Four times, you're blessed. And then Mary starts singing and says, I am the most blessed woman ever. I'll take it. I'll take it. Bless me again. Listen, rejoice. When someone offers you help, take it. Rejoice in it, because what's God doing? God is using that gift to you as a way to lower the mighty, and that's a beautiful thing. And God's using that gift to you to exalt you, and that's a beautiful thing. That's how He creates this culture, this society, this kingdom. Don't deny it. Don't deny another person an opportunity to bless you. Who knows what work God is doing in their life? Take it. Take it. If you offer to buy me lunch, I'm going to say yes. 
And listen, I'm not going to buy you lunch back. <laughs> just be forewarned. I'm just going to say, thank you, Lord, grace. Let me challenge you this Christmas season and beyond to adopt not only this mindset, but what if you were to adopt someone in this church body this Christmas season? What if you chose to be an Elizabeth to a Mary, someone that you'll receive and bless, 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 bless out of exuberant joy? Not because Pastor Brady said it, but because the Holy Spirit has poured it into you. Maybe a single parent, maybe a widow, maybe a fatherless child, maybe a foreigner, maybe a lonely person, maybe a military family. Who in this church could use a blessing? And listen. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to take Pastor Brady's challenge. I want to bless you. Say yes. <laughs> Say yes. Say yes. I will take the blessing. I'll take the grace. I'll take the free grace because it is a picture of the gospel, isn't it? Somebody comes to you and says, can I bless you? Your answer is yes. Bless me. Bless me. Jesus, give me joy in this blessing. You say, well, Brady, I don't need it. I don't need any help. I don't need any blessing. That's okay. Take it anyway. Take it anyway. Because again, you don't know what God's doing in that other person's life. And listen, most of us in a congregation like this, most of us need to be blessed and we need to bless, right? We, we need to figure out a way to be on both ends of this. That's my challenge to you this season. Who can you bless? Who can you exalt? Who, who will God put in your path that you look at and say, I want, I want to be used of God to exalt this person? Listen, life's hard. Life is hard. Christmas is hard. We got a battle. We got a battle for joy. We got a battle for joy. But listen, as we're about to sing, it's a battle that's already been won, hasn't it? hasn't it? Let's pray. Father, you have blessed us to be a blessing. You have exalted us so that we might exalt others. Help us not to live in our ivory towers anymore. Help us not to, to sit on the, the, the thrones of our own little miniature kingdoms. God, I pray that you would allow us to get out of our comfort zone, maybe. Get out of ourselves, get out of our own minds and reach out to others who need a blessing. Holy Spirit, would you literally bring it to mind in our hearts, in our thoughts. Bring about divine appointments whereby we meet that person that we can help. Jesus, this is what you have done for us. You have done great things for us. Help us to do great things in your name for others, we pray. In your name, amen.